Blog Talk Radio. Welcome 
Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. This is T-Love, your host here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am a Reiki master and certified sound therapist with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where we are streaming to you live as we do every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, our chat room is open, so feel free to join the discussion that's already happening there. We do keep an eye on the chat room, so if you have a question, go ahead and post it, and we'll do our best to get your question on air. As an alternative, for those of you who are on the go, you can't continue to listen online, you may simply call us directly by dialing 347-202-0227. And that way you can listen via phone, or please, if you are driving about, please be sure to use Bluetooth. Before we begin, I want to thank my friends at AdRunner for spreading the word about Energy Awareness Radio. You know, there are a lot of digital screens out there running my ad, and I know a lot of you have seen it. The company running those screens is called AdRunner, and they have screens in various eateries across the area. I must tell you, everyone at AdRunner has been so very helpful. Whenever I have changes to my ad, they make the necessary edits, and the ad is up and running usually the very next day. And the people have told me they found out about this show, Energy Awareness Radio, from the AdRunner screens. So I'm very thankful and pleased with AdRunner. You can find out more about them on their website, adrunner.co. That's A-D-R-U-N-N-E-R dot C-O. Also, I've received a lot of inquiries about my CD, Imagine. That CD is available for sale on my website. It consists of four tracks or 70 minutes of quartz crystal singing bowl music. It was recorded without any digital re-engineering or remastering whatsoever. So it's very organic in that what you hear on the CD is exactly what you would hear if you attended one of my live concerts. So if you already have the CD, you don't need to call and ask questions, you know, can you do, what can you do? Just play your CD. That's all you need to do. That's why you bought it. Use it. And if you were having trouble with the site, that's all rectified now. So go ahead and check it out after the show. Okay. Have you ever thought... What am I really supposed to be doing? Why am I here? What is my purpose? It takes time to figure that out for most people. And for some, it may actually take their entire life to figure it out. And we've probably all taken those psychological tests to determine our strengths, which tell us what we're wired to do. But I can honestly say from experience, I no more want to be an accountant, which is what the result was for me, proved to be my calling, and that's really not what I think it is. I don't want to do that any more than I want to swim from Alcatraz to San Francisco. So in reality, there really has never been any good solid tool for the process of determining one's life purpose until now. And tonight we're speaking with Steve Olsher, author of What is Your What? Steve Olsher is America's reinvention expert, and he has taught thousands how to nichetize by identifying and monetizing their what. That is to say, the one thing they were going to do. Steve is the author of Internet Profits. The world's leading experts reveal how to profit online and also of USA Book News Self-Help Book of the Year, Journey to You, a step-by-step guide to becoming who you were born to be. He's also the creator and host of Internet Profits Live, co-star of the groundbreaking film The Keeper of the Keys with Jack Canfield, John Gray, and Marcy Shimoff, and he has appeared on ABC TV, Fox TV, CNBC.com, and more than 200 radio shows, including national programs hosted by Lou Dobbs, Jim Bohannon, and Mankow Miller. Steve is a successful entrepreneur who's applied his business acumen and communication skills to a wide range of endeavors. He's worked as a radio and nightclub DJ, Mr. Bold, owns his own alcohol-free nightclub at the age of 20, the Funky Pickle. 
He launched the first wine and spirit store on CompuServe's Electronic Mall in 1993. He launched one of the Internet's first fully functional e-commerce websites in 1995, liquorbywire.com, founded Bold Development, one of Chicago's largest boutique real estate development companies, co-founded San Francisco-based liquor.com, founded and runs the Reinvention Workshop, and founded and hosts Reinvention Radio. That is a whole bunch of stuff, Steve. Good evening. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. How are you being you're, this evening? You're very welcome. That was a very long intro. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to say about you. You've done a lot of stuff. <laughs> I couldn't leave yeah. any out, could I? <laughs> yeah, so, lots of and, stuff. Yeah, that, yeah, you have more than one amazing thing to do. <laughs> you have way more than one amazing thing to do, but it all leads to everything, I suppose. So tell it us does. first, what was the catalyst for you actually writing this book? Well, now there's a really interesting question. Uh, you know, my story is that of many people, which is significant <laughs> degrees of reinvention throughout my career. and. What ended up happening was, as you said in the bio there, I mean, I've been doing a number of different endeavors and had various businesses for literally 20 years. But about five years ago now, I had a pretty huge wake-up call where I was with my stepfather, who was very much a father to me, raised me since I was 10. And uh, unfortunately, he was in his final days, and I was by his side holding his hand, and he can no longer communicate verbally, but I do believe that we were able to connect to that point of physical touch because I had a vision of my funeral, not of his funeral, but actually of mine. And I could hear the words being spoken graveside, which were, here lies Steve Olsher. He dedicated his life to chasing the almighty dollar. And mm. that's all that was said, and, and it hit me really hard because he was really imploring me in that moment to reexamine what I was doing with my life. And he knew that I've always talked about wanting to do something really amazing, really powerful, but the path that I had forged was really not leading me in that direction. And I faced what I now call a, a yay-no moment, which is a fancy way of saying yes-no. But basically what it means is you can take one path that leads you away from who you inherently are or the other, which really does allow you to tap into your inherent gifts and share those gifts with, with as many people as you can. That's very true, because if I followed the path that I was told to do, to be an accountant, I I would be, I don't know what I'd be, because I hate accounting. I, I hate it so much I married an accountant just to get past it. So that just works for me. <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, I'll marry one. That will suffice. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> Funny. You know, but it's true. Now, the subtitle is Discover the One Amazing Thing You Were Born to Do, and I get the premise of that, but I also feel that we may be able to have more than one amazing thing, for instance, you have. So given that, would you say that your book is a way for someone to ascertain their starting point or a starting point for them? Well, you know, the answer is no. I, I strongly believe that we each have very unique gifts, and those gifts don't change over time. They are in your blueprint. They're ingrained in your DNA. They are an inherent part of who you are. Now, the vehicle that you use to share those gifts with the world and the people that you're most compelled to serve 
those might change over time as you gain life experiences and perspective, et cetera. But ultimately, I do believe that your gifts are what they are. Okay, so it's the larger umbrella we're talking about. Many different things can lead you to the same, to doing what you love to do, but you can do them in many different ways, as you have done. Well, I I can honestly say that the entrepreneurial endeavors did not really, the the entrepreneurial endeavors were were commodity-driven opportunities. I mean, that's the best way to put it. I saw an opportunity, I pursued it, and it was simply for no other reason than to make money. What I do believe is that when you are clear on what your gifts are, the vehicle that you use, for instance, my clear gifts are, it's really the overarching theme for me is communication. It's effective, intuitive communication. That's my main, my main gift. Now, the vehicle that I use to share that gift with the world can vary. So, as you said, I wrote several books. So, on one hand, writing can be a vehicle. On another hand, I'm also an international keynote speaker, so speaking is also another vehicle. And so the vehicles can definitely change, and certainly there will be more than one vehicle that you might use, but I do always recommend starting with one and then expanding outwards from there. That makes sense because, you know, you may someone may want to – communicate in a different way than someone else and, and, and not do uh, public speaking, let's say, but they still want to communicate. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, there are people who do radio, right? I mean, not very right. good writers, but they're great talkers. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've got plenty of examples of people who have done very well with radio and their books have just kind of done, you know, eh, right? They're just kind of mediocre. And mm-hmm. that's because they have a gift for gab and not necessarily a gift for the written word. So is your book, the techniques in your book, which are really good, I mean, it's definitely, you know, a manual that people would use and not just read. You don't just read it. You actually do the steps in the book to get to where you need to be. Are the techniques in your book what you used to determine what you do? Is that how you came about figuring out that this is the process that needs to happen? Well, that's a great question. And the honest answer is no. I wasn't nearly that, that, and I wasn't really that cognizant of the process. And frankly, it took me years of writing and years of teaching to to nail down exactly what this process is. Because, frankly, as you said, you know, we've we've all taken those aptitude tests. Most of us have read what color is your parachute. I mean, it's just human nature to really want to find out why we exist and what it is that we were born to do. But most of those tools that are available at present are, are, are too vague and they're too mm-hmm. sort of theoretical in nature. And so don't toss me in a corner and say I'm an introvert who, you know, is a touchy-feely person, right? I mean, okay, great. That, that, that's great to know, but well, how, do I actually, well, how do I apply that, right? What do I mm-hmm. actually do with that? And so, you know, don't tell me that, If I'm in a conversation with – or if I'm at a party and there's four different conversations going on in a room that, you know, I'm going to to want to talk to the people who who are talking sports, you know, what what does that mean? What does that do? How do I then put something into action that I can leverage into a career that I can cultivate? I mean, that's the bigger part of the process that, frankly, had been missing. 
And so as I worked with people and wrote and developed this intuitive gift for helping people really hone in on what it is that they're compelled to do, that's when the process developed. But the process in itself didn't exist. And so, no, I, I really didn't even know that this was what I needed to figure out. It just really came about uh, from teaching and from writing and from working with people to, to, to really hone in on what works and what doesn't. Well, it's a great way to do it because, as you said, we've all taken those aptitude tests. And, yes, I'm great at math. I'm really good at math. I'm a girl who's great at math. Okay, good. Don't put me in an accounting room. I can't do accounting. I hate it. You know, it's boring to me. I don't like it. I don't really understand it because accounting is very different from math. So that was constantly coming up, pigeonholing me, whereas this process – I like the fact that you have the list that you have to make up and, you know, what do you love to do? What do you hate to do? And now in every job, having said that, we all know that in every job, a career, profession, your calling, whatever it is, vocation, is going to have aspects that you might not like. So there are things that you neither want to do nor have fun doing, but they are part of the overall ideal. So as we go through your process of determination, we're really not trying to create the absolute perfect situation because there is no perfect situation, but we're looking, you know, we're looking for more than just the good parts. We're trying to determine a baseline so that you can f- further develop toward your own passion. That's how I saw it because you know, I mean, I own my own business. I don't like to do accounting, but it's part of the job. So I do the part that I can do, and then I, like I said, I'm married an accountant. I give the rest to him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I got lucky, but other people may not. There are aspects of a job you, you, you can't just say, well, I hate all this stuff and I'm not ever going to do any of it. So you're just trying to get the baseline to see, okay, communication. Within communication, perhaps there are things that you're doing that you don't really care for too much. Well, I mean, what you're talking about, and I appreciate you having gone through the book to, to see the exercise. So that particular exercise is called the seven seeds of your soul. And you're right. You you make a list of things you love to do, a a list of things you just hate doing, and then you run it through these these seven questions which represent the seven seeds of your soul. And when you get done with that exercise, you'll come out the other end with a pretty clear picture of what your inherent gifts are. And I don't insist on a clean clean sweep of Mm -hmm. what you love to do not involving anything on your hate-doing list because – as you said, life isn't perfect. There's always going to be aspects of, of what you're doing that you may not necessarily enjoy, but if it's if it's tolerable, and in so far as if there's not, how I look at it is if there's more than two items on your hate doing list that that sort of line up with the criteria of what you love doing, then there's too much hate going on, right? So there's too many things involved that you just can't stand doing, and so you've got to take that off the list. But if you can get to the point of having two or less. Uh, then you're then you're pretty much golden, and that's very feasible, I think, to do because it's not just that exercise. There's also um, uh, there's the exercise regarding who are you going to who are you most uh, compelled to serve? I believe is the way you worded it. Yeah, and, you know, so, so yeah, there's three three parts of the equation, right? So you have your inherent mm-hmm. your, your inherent gifts, you have the vehicle that you use to share those gifts with the world, and then the third part is the people you're most compelled to serve. Right, and and that gives you a good picture of what it is that you could be doing. Absolutely, and and frankly, some people find it much easier to start with the people they're most compelled to serve than in choosing a vehicle to start with 
uh, or in bringing the gifts that they have to the surface. Well, that was my next question because I talked to a couple of people about it, and they said, you know, I, I really – I told them about the three steps, and they said, really, though, isn't it important to know what you – you know, who you want to work with? And I thought, yeah, that, that you could do it the other way. You absolutely could do it the other way. Yeah, and it's not even so much as, as, as who you want to work with. I, I really prefer the term of compelled to serve because – that's when the magic really happens. It's when you just you wake up in the morning with a fire in your soul to share of yourself with others. And that can only happen when the people that you're just absolutely drawn to are sitting or standing in front of you, and those are the people that you're helping. Now, right now, at this point in time, who is your target audience, do you feel, or do you not have a target audience? Like, are you going, are you, are you trying to put this out to, let's say, the college audience and say, here, this will help you figure this out? Or I'm looking at it as it, it will be great for anybody. It's the same, you know, it's a great process. So many people are getting laid off and they are trying to reinvent themselves. This is a great process to go through to help them with that. But I'm wondering if you're targeting anyone. Well, you know, it's interesting, right? In high school and college, I think you're still too young to really understand who you are. You just haven't had the life experiences. Most people still are living within that, that restricted circle of, of how they grew up and the people that they know and the things that they do. Um, and so, I, I, you know, I've been asked to speak at high schools. I've been asked to speak at colleges, uh, and I do it. And I certainly believe that I'm inspirational in those presentations, <laughs> but but I don't necessarily believe that they're ready for this process. And so the answer to your question is people who are ready to discover what it is that they're truly compelled to do. You have to be ready for this conversation. You have to have hit that fork in the road, that you know that that point of uh, of no return where you say, I just I just can't do this anymore. There's got to be something more for me. And you have that nagging, kind of tugging at your collar type feeling that you were meant and made to do something extraordinary, but you just can't figure out what it is. Now, I know that I saw a couple of things online that you were doing uh, video-wise, and it was it was videos for, you know, us to view online. Are you also doing workshops and things like that in relationship to this to help people through the process, to teach them how to do it, or is the book basically here, here's what you need to do? And Because uh, you can get everything out of the book. You certainly don't need to take a workshop, I wouldn't think. I mean, it seems pretty straightforward, but I'm just wondering if you do have a workshop or offer anything like that. Well, I do, and the, you know, the, the truth of the matter is that you, you can certainly go through this process on your own with the book. As a matter of fact, I give the book away for free. And so for those that are interested in grabbing a free copy of the book, they can go to whatisyourwhat.com forward slash free and grab a free copy because I, I want people to discover what it is that they're compelled to do. But, yeah, I do teach a, a course called the Reinvention Workshop, uh, and you can find that at thereinventionworkshop.com. And we're actually doing a live event in San Diego uh, in January 2014. And, uh, and that will be me personally leading people through the process. I also do coaching, and I've got a coaching program. Uh, so, you know, lots of different things going on. But, uh, but there's nothing like seeing this process in action because often when you see it, you know, live in person and you see how I work with people and you see how you've you got to go through the steps, 
it just it takes on a whole different meaning and a whole different way of processing the information than simply reading it on your own. That's absolutely true because you also have the opportunity to brainstorm with other people or somebody may say something that you didn't even think of and it inspires you and you think, oh, yeah, I like that. And you don't realize, yeah. you know, as you're going through the process of the, the likes and dislikes or coming up with any of, any of the, the steps that you go through, you might not hit on something. I, I oftentimes find that to be true. A book is great and it's good to fall back on, but it's really nice to have the workshop to, to go to and, and feel it out and actually – you actually feel like you're getting more attention, especially for something like this, because this is not something you would just sit down and do in a weekend. Well, you know, it's interesting. I've had people tell me that they read the book and got a lot out of it and didn't do a single exercise. So, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it, it, I think it cuts both ways. You know, some people get what they need just simply from reading, and others are going to want to dig in and, and do all of the exercises and put pen to paper. Now, I happen to think that, you're going to realize the best results by putting pen to paper and actually digging deep and, <laughs> and trying to, to follow this process. But, you know, at the same token, um, who am I to judge otherwise? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we, none of us should ever judge. It's interesting, though, because it touches on a lot of different aspects in life. It's not just about, uh, you know, what it is that you could do for work because you get a little bit into, you know, altering, retraining your brain and uh, relationships with people. And I think that's important. Yeah, I mean, it, it is, right? I mean, there, there's three parts of the book. I don't, I don't even let people start figuring out what their what is until they go through the first two parts of the book. Mm-hmm. And the first section of the book is all about establishing the foundation because you have to be clear on who you are and why you do what you do so that you can build a solid foundation that will support the new you that you're going to become after you finish this process. Otherwise, if you simply just bring those old habits and way of being into the present, you're going to engage in self-sabotage and you're what's never going to come to fruition. So, I mean, that's that's all of part one. And then in part two, we move into what I call the seven life-altering principles, which are really based on the fact that, look, you know, we, we learn how to read and write and do math, but no one really teaches us how to live. And so the seven life-altering principles provide very specific guidelines for how to deal with life as it happens because, you know, life is a real mother. It's just you're going to get stuff thrown at you, this, that, and the other. You know, whenever you're least expecting it, that's that's when life tries to to kick you in the pants and and throw you off path. So you've got to learn how to set those deep anchors in your soul so that you can be very clear on where you're headed and maintain focus on that objective. And at least do something, get, get, you know, live your dream. And that's pretty constant throughout the book is it, it comes through that you're teaching people how to find out what their dream is and to actually live it rather than just say, okay, well, there you go. Because at the, toward the end of the book, you actually show how to implement. Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, ideas without implementation are just, it's really an, a waste of, of everyone's time, including your own. So the idea behind the implementation uh, section of the book is, yeah, again, I don't want this to be theoretical for you. I want you to put this into practice and actually live this. Now, I I'm not a big fan of you know, the idea of sort of living your dream and that sort of thing, because life isn't a dream. Life is hell. I don't care who you are. 
you know, the Buddhists say life is suffering, and I couldn't agree more. This has got to be hell. I'm, 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 I have no doubt about that. You know, we just we do what we've got to do to get through life. But, you know, reality is we might as well make it the best life we possibly can. But there's nothing about this stuff that's a dream. I mean, all you got to do is look at folks like Lamar Odom, you know, who have all the money and skill and everything in the world, you know, pro basketball player who's, you know, in, constantly in and out of rehab. And, you know, it's like we just – we just are going to experience monumental trials and tribulations and it's simply a matter of trying to understand who we inherently are and sharing those gifts as best we can. Yeah, and, and living our life as best we can. And, you know, dream is probably not the appropriate word. I use it <laughs> because because I think that maybe I'm a dreamer. But I think that you can really make things better than they are by just shifting your attitude a bit, you know, by changing the way that you look at things and, and uh, not being negative all the time and not bringing the negativity in. And it, it takes a lot of that burden off of your life where it is difficult. This is a challenge. This And, you know, it could be hell on earth here. Maybe we're all in hell. Who knows? But, <laughs> yeah. but we're trying and to do the best make, we can. You know, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make too much light out of, you know, obviously, you know, life is for the living and we want to enjoy as much of it as we can. And I'm being obviously a little bit facetious. But, you know, again, I just, I, I don't want people to, to wake up thinking that there's a magic bullet and they're going to find it in this book. You know, life is, is hard work, and if you're going to bring your what to fruition, you've got to work your tail off to make that happen. Well, that's the thing, because a lot of people think, well, you know, this person had it easy. Really, no, they didn't. They put an awful lot of effort into the successes that they have. A lot of people think, oh, somebody just fell into something. Well, you don't know unless you live their life. You don't walk in their shoes. You have no idea what they've gone through. And until you do that, you really can't make a judgment call and say, you know, okay, Oprah had it easy. She didn't. She didn't have a great childhood. You know, she's where she is now, and God bless, but she worked hard for it. She earned it. A lot of people do, and they have difficulty going through it. But I think the important point is that your book really is a whole lot different and a whole lot better than the aptitude test because it it allows you know what it does it allows you to explore and when we explore or when we become a curious we explore and when we explore we discover and when we discover we find we're you know learning new skills and then you you take those new skills and you perfect them and you get better at it and you have confidence and that brings you to a point of mastery. And then from there you end up saying, okay, well, I've done that. Now let's go back and be curious again. So it's just a, a constant circle of what to do. And you could probably, you know, somebody could go through the book a couple of times and come up with, they'll come up with the same thing, but they'll see things differently. I really believe that when you do things like this, exercises like this, you will see things differently. Oh, I, I appreciate that and wholeheartedly agree. I mean, I think that what we have found as a population really is that, you know, those tests and some of the other books out there on the subject, they almost leave you with more questions than answers. And and that's what I found so discouraging is, again, you kind of got to the end of those processes feeling like, okay, now what? <laughs> you know, and then that's what I really wanted to address is the now what and made sure that, that people didn't finish the book still having more questions than answers. Well, I think if they do it the way the book says to do it and then, you know, potentially take the course if they're in the area, wherever you are in the area, take the class. Or they, they can do it online. You can do it online for, yeah, I think it's 99 bucks. So no matter where you are, you can go to the reinventionworkshop.com and just take it online. 
And I think they would walk away with more. I don't think they'd have that question because I walked away with, what the hell? This is not me. Who took this test? I know I sat there and took it, but this is not me. I knew it wasn't me. And I just thought, mm-hmm. this is not helping me at all. But I also was, you know, like 19 years old. And, you know, you don't know at 19. Pick your major. Really? I'm, you know, you're 19. What do you know at 19? You, you, you don't, yeah. I haven't got a clue. Um, well, that's, so, you know, you know it, it, reality, though, is there, there is a group of people that I call the birthers. And there are, yeah. uh, you know, there is a small percentage of the population that really does know from the womb what it is that they're compelled to do. And if that's the case, then, you know, I say go get the education that you need and, and move into it as quickly as you can. But most people, frankly, aren't nearly that clear, which is why I think college is a horrible investment for most parents because all you're doing is moving them from the sheltered environment of getting the bottle from their mama to the sheltered environment of getting the bottle from the bartender. It's just a social experiment that doesn't work. <laughs> That's a very good way of putting that. I never thought of it like that, but boy, you should put that out there a lot more often because people would probably think twice about sending their children to, <laughs> to college. It's crazy. <laughs> we are we yeah. are speaking with Steve Olsher, author of What Is Your What? And you can learn more about Steve by going to his website, www.whatisyourwhat.com. So write that down now. It's all one word, whatisyourwhat.com, and then you can check it out after the show. But seriously, I think, uh, you know, that's very true. That's a, it's, a, it's a scary statement, but it's true because everybody seems to send their children to college. And it, some, most of the people that have gotten out of college in the past, I'll say, 15 years, are not doing what their major was. Oh, no, 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 no. Eighty-five percent of those who graduate with a four-year degree do not work in their field of study within five right. years of graduation. Eighty-five percent in five years. Yeah. That's most. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, most. Yeah. I said most. I didn't know the percentage. Yeah, but yeah that's that's a lot of people, you know. And, and even I, it really is because it's almost like it's. I know you go to learn more and to become well-rounded, but what are you really doing with it? You know, I suppose well, if you go to med talk school, about the life ex- yeah, they'll talk about the life experience and you know being on your own and being independent. Well, great, you know, and that just costs you a hundred thousand dollars as a parent to to make that experience happen. You know, give them $5,000 and a kick in the ass and tell them to go out and figure out, you know, what life is all about. <laughs> yeah. Save 95 grand. <laughs> there you go. You won't have, a, you won't have to do the uh, paybacks and everything, you know, pay those school loans off. It's crazy. But people do yeah, do that. And, figure out, yeah, and when they figure out what they want to do, then they can pursue the education they need to make that happen. And it's not always going to be a four-year degree. It could be a vocational school. It could be the military. It could be an online course. And, you mm-hmm. know, God forbid, get a job and pay for it yourself. And it could be way down the road because a lot of people don't find out until later what it is they're truly meant to do. So, you know, sometimes you just not – you have to go through other experiences to get to that point, as you said previously, when you're ready for it that's when you'll be able to do it and figure out what it is that you want to do. Yeah, Buddha, oh, I mean, it's a Buddhist quote, right? When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. That's right. Absolutely. I like that, too. The, you know, you've worked with a lot of people, and you must get feedback from this. Is there anybody that really has surprised you and said, you know, I thought I wanted to do this, but after I did the whole course and everything, I realized this is what I'm supposed to do? You know, it's, I love the stories of people that have gone through this reinvention process. And, and, and frankly, if you, if you have a chance, go to Amazon.com uh, and check out the, the reviews about the book because you'll, you'll start to gain a pretty good perspective on my process and really how this resonates with people. But, you know, when I start looking at, at, 
actual like case studies of people who have reinvented their lives. I, I love two stories in particular, actually three stories, but I'll start with two and you can tell me if we have time for a third. But okay. one of those people is, is Dr. Joel Moya. And this was a guy who went to school to be a chiropractor, got his license, his degree, spent thousands, tens of thousands of dollars on opening up his own practice, was a practicing chiropractor for about 15 years, had a, you know, a book of paying clients and was doing really well insofar as how you might define success. Well, he woke up one day and just said, I can't do this anymore. I just can't do this anymore. Shut down his practice. Today, he is known as the smarter dating coach, and he actually helps single women find love. So oh, my God. Puts, talk about a and, – and, and he's a perfect example of what I call a reinventor, which is someone who literally makes a full 180-degree turn – and starts out in one area and ends up in something completely different because that's really what their soul is compelled to do. So that's that, that that's a story that I love sharing. Um, another is a woman by the name of Donna Miller, who she she took the reinvention workshop and was very clear when she came in that she just she knew she was a teacher, she knew she was a healer. I mean, these were the gifts that came to the service after we went through the exercise, but she pretty much knew that coming in that. Her gifts are teaching and healing. And the vehicle that she was using to share those gifts with the world was nursing. And she had been a nurse for 30-something years and really did like it, but always felt like a piece of the puzzle was missing. And so what she became clear on is that she needed to make a shift on the people that she's most compelled to serve. And what she found out is that the people that she's most compelled to serve are the disadvantaged elderly. And so before that, she had been working in a general hospital. And once she figured out that the people she's most compelled to serve are the disadvantaged elderly, that's when everything shifted for her. And she now has a job in a VA hospital, and she's working with the disadvantaged elderly, and that's made all the difference. That's incredible. That's great. That is great. Yeah. And we do have time for your third story, so go right ahead. Well, I think it's good for people very... to hear them. Well, you know, and that's why, actually, again, if you look through the book, you know at the end of each mm-hmm. chapter we've got a case study. And the right. case study, you know, we feature people like Jack Canfield and and, and, and uh, Randy Gage and Larry Winget and other people that you may never have heard of who are doing amazing things and literally take people through how they started, how they finished, or at least where they are now, and then how they complete the what is your what equation so that it really does provide a a guideline for how you might complete that equation as you see other examples. But one of the, you know, one of the nice uh, stories that that I love to share because, you know, they say charity starts at home. Well, one of the stories that that I love talking about is actually my wife (laughs) who I've been married to now for 16 years. And she is a classic birther. She has known since the womb what it is that she's compelled to do, but spent years really denying herself and the rest of the world the the benefit of of those gifts. And she went to school, got a college degree to be in education, education so that she uh, became a second-grade school teacher. So for for eight years, she taught second-graders. And after she had uh, our two boys, and they got older, she decided, you know, hey, I, I just I can't go back to teaching. I really want to do what I'm 
born and compelled to do, which is to be a funeral director. And she really just loves helping families during one of life's most difficult times. And mm-hmm. so she went back to school at age 40. She got her degree. She finished up a year-long apprentice apprenticeship, and, and today she is a licensed funeral director. But she had to literally start over from scratch at age 40. Yeah. Wow. That's a huge change. It is. Yeah. It is. I mean, that's that's a full-on... 180, but you know, I don't call her a reinventor because she, she she had known, she just really denied what that was. Right. Whereas somebody like, there was a gentleman in your book, Bill, I can't I can't pronounce his name, I think Renkosik or something like that, he was a DJ. Oh, Bill, Bill yeah, Bill Renkosik, uh-huh. He, yep. he was a birther. Yep, he was a absolutely. birther. Absolutely. Yes. Yep, DJing since he was like 13 on radio stations, uh, you know, worldwide. You know, it's very interesting because having that information, those case studies at the end of each chapter just allows the reader, from my perspective, and I I looked at this from the perspective of doing a radio show, not actually doing this process for myself, so I I looked at it differently. But having that, I thought, this is good because it proves to people that there are regular people out there that have done this who it worked for, and there are the people who are birthers, and there are the people who have reinvented themselves. So you get to see that you're not talking all celebrities here. You know, you're not putting that, because everybody knows those stories. You know, that doesn't really prove anything to the to the regular reader. So it's good That's to have exactly case right. studies. Yeah. Yeah, one of my I, favorite I really like case studies, one of my favorite case studies in the book uh, is Johnny Emmerman, who created Emmerman Angels. And he mm-hmm. started Emmerman Angels. He was a, he was a corporate real estate guy. I mean, he was doing real estate transactions, and then he got diagnosed with testicular cancer and it just it was a really really traumatic time for him but during that period he was surrounded by friends and family and people who really loved and cared for him and they helped him get through but as he walked the the ward uh or the clinic or whatever you want to call it where other people were there in their various stages of, of, of cancer he found that many people didn't have that same sort of support system in place, and he promised to himself that when he beat this cancer, which he knew that he would, he would make 100% sure that people would never suffer alone again. And he created something called Emmerman Angels, which pairs cancer sufferers with cancer survivors and really helps those people through the process. Yes, that is a beautiful story because – there are. I work with a lot of people who have cancer, and it's amazing how many people don't have support. Yeah. Whether they, yeah. you know, they and have so, family and everything, but they don't have support. So that, yeah, that program is incredible. That, yeah, that was a great one. I like that one too. <laughs> yeah, and, okay, and that's now, a perfect example of of how life experiences sometimes can put you in a direction that you never would have anticipated. But like Dr. Wayne Dyer says, you know, everything that happens to us in life, no matter how painful eventually leads us to a place of higher value, and that's certainly what happened for Johnny. Oh, absolutely. And the fact that he's helping so many other people, you know, I mean, yeah. what a great purposeful life thing to do, you know. It, it, yeah. it, he really has a purpose-filled life at this point. So that, yeah, that's a wonderful thing. It's got to make him feel good knowing that he's making other people have the support that they need at such a, a horrific time in their lives, and that's uh, that. there's something to be said for that an awful lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that in your book – 
there was one a quote that really seemed to sum it up, and the quote was by the motivational speaker Les Brown. Most people fail in life not because they aim too high and miss, but because they aim too low and hit. The percentage of people that do that has to be high. Oh, boy. I wouldn't even want to put a number on it, but I would definitely put uh, a couple of nine nines in front of the decimal point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking it's right up there with the 85% of the college students, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I really yeah, do. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's scary. It's a, it's well, why do you it's think, a, I mean, why do you think we live vicariously through others that we think are living the dream? You know, why people wait in the rain for hours just to catch a glimpse of their, you know, their favorite star, right? I mean, there's just so few of us who are out there really living what it is that we're compelled to do. That's true. But your book will help people with that. Absolutely. It will. Positively it will. <laughs> it absolutely it will. It's a very interesting book to read because, as I said, I didn't read it for the process. I read it in order to be able to speak with you, and I opened with questions and, you know, that – Okay, let him talk about it. Why should I? You know, it's your book. I just want to ask a question and let you put it out there to the audience so that they understand where it's coming from. And I think it's a very good book for people to use, especially in this time. It's so challenging, and people don't know what to do. And this allows them to focus a little bit and think about themselves. It brings it back to, it's almost a self-care thing. It brings it back to them to say, what inherently do you feel and do you want to do? It is a process, and if they put the effort into it, I think they'll come out of it with what it is that they want to do and not have that question, what the heck is this? I don't know, this isn't right. They won't end up like well, that. And, and I think if you, if you really read between the lines, and I, and I do say this in a number of places, but if you, if you really read between the lines, my overriding message is that it's not about you. It's about those you're compelled to serve. And Andrea Robinson, who is one of my coaching students, she had a wonderful quote that I use in the book, and she says that it took her almost 60 years to realize that she is the solution to someone else's problem. And that's just, it's so profound and it's so incredibly accurate that, you know, you might think you're not hurting anyone by not discovering and sharing your gifts, but the fact of the matter is that you are. You're really denying yourself Mm -hmm. and others the gifts that you have been given that people are literally waiting for. I mean, it's like the butterfly effect, right? I mean, you just, you never know how that one little wave can affect so many others. I think there's a fear factor involved as well. No one really likes, there's a fear of change. No one likes to change. And so if they get stuck, if you will, in a job and then they get married and have kids, it's just go to work, get the job done, pay, raise the kids, pay the bills. And that's unfortunate, but that's probably the larger percentage. And that's why. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a huge reality. And unfortunately, it becomes a very, very vicious cycle. And, and that's when you've got to be willing to enter into the transition which is right. once you discover your your what, you have to be patient. And you have to mm-hmm. understand that, you know, it could take a long time for enough income to be derived from what it is that you're truly compelled to do. And so you got to stick with that day job. you got to feed those miles. you got to pay those bills. But it will happen. You just have to be willing to invest your time and shift from being a critic to being a creator. 
Right, and shift from I'm a fixed mindset to a growth mindset and not feel like I'm stuck, I can't go anywhere. But you know what? If I do a little bit every day, maybe it will come faster. And it will because you're doing a little bit toward the goal every day. So it's also a good process for that. They don't have to just jump, you know, leap into this and go whole hog. Nobody's saying you have to do that. But it certainly will help you to give you direction and guide you so that you can build up to that because not a lot of people can just quit their job and say, well, now I'm going to do this. They just can't. They don't have the money. Not in this economy. Not in these challenging times. You know. No, for um, sure. They and 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 you're describing most people. Yeah. Mm-hmm, absolutely. We're almost out of time, Steve. But before we go, would you please tell everyone in the audience all about you, more about you and your work, or where they can purchase your book, and if you have any final words for our listeners. Absolutely. So, you know, what is your what dot com uh, is more of a community oriented site. So, if you want to discover and share your what with others, what is your what is the best place to go to do that. If you want a copy of the book, what is your whatcom forward slash free will get you a copy of the book for free. And if you want more information about me, steveolsher.com is, is the best site. Again, that's S-T-E-V-E-O-L-S-H-E-R.com, so steveolsher.com. Now, in, in closing, what I would say is that you know, reality to me, after having worked with thousands of people, is that you really do have something very unique to share. You have a singular gift that is ingrained in your DNA. It's in your blueprint. And really, there are people out there who are waiting for you to discover and share it. And frankly, once you do that, it's amazing what will happen because that's when the magic really does come into place that's when you wake up with a fire in your soul to jump out of bed every day, and that's when you're really going to get, you know, start getting paid extraordinarily well because you should be paid extraordinarily well for what it is that you do in your own unique, distinct manner and never apologize for charging what you're worth because you have a gift, and it's yours to share no different than a baseball player hitting a ball with a stick and earning millions of dollars a year. You deserve to to be paid extraordinarily well for what you do in your own way. And ultimately, the world is waiting for you, and life starts over right now, so it's time to get started. Yeah, you can have a do-over, and this is the time to start it, number one. You also are part of a big picture. You're part of a big puzzle, and you may look at your piece and say, I don't like what I have, or it doesn't seem like it's worth it. And what I oftentimes tell people is not everyone can be Oprah. But you know what? Because of everyone else, she is who she is. You're doing your part, and you're bringing everybody else up when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I think that comes clearly through the book as well. So I, you know, I applaud you for writing this book because I think it's a great tool that people can use, and I don't believe there's anything else out there. I've never seen anything out there that's quite as uh, extensive in the process to allow people to flourish in the way that I think you're trying to allow people to flourish. Well, thank you for that, and I appreciate you spreading the word about it. No, no problem at all. So listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so please share it with your friends. You know, we live in very challenging and constantly changing times, and that's why I have the guests I have to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we're meant to live productively, healthfully, and purposefully. And this is where you find the tools to do just that. So send the link to the show to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you have had so that they can learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. Again, Steve, thank you for joining me. It really has been a pleasure, and I do appreciate your taking time to be here. I truly do. 
Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You're quite welcome. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in this evening. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for another great show here at Energy Awareness Radio. So go ahead and get out your calendar and make a note of it now so you remember to tune in next week. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. You'll find an archive list of the past shows, the lineup for upcoming shows, as well as information about other upcoming events I'll be hosting throughout the year. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio. That's at NRG Aware Radio. I am your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. <laughs>